I'm going to share our Bible reading as then Luke comes to preach to us and continue in our sermon series on Nehemiah, A Time to Build. Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, if you want to turn to it, or the words will appear on the screen as I read them for us. It's entitled, Further Opposition to the Rebuilding. When word came to Sambalit, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Uno. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalit sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalit had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalit, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets had been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was complete on the 25th of Ulu in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since his he was his son-in-law to Shekinah, son of Uriah. And his son, Jehonah, ma married the daughter of Meshillam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, 
They kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Well, let's pray. Father God, as we open up your word together today, we pray that above everything, we'll hear your voice. We pray, Lord God, that wherever we are at in life at the moment, whether things feel like they're going really well or actually they're just a real struggle, Lord, we pray that we will know you draw close to us. You'll challenge us where we need challenging, Lord, today, that you will encourage us where we need encouraging, Lord, and you'll spur us on to do the good works that you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're well and truly in deep now into this book of Nehemiah. If this is your first time joining us today, over the past six weeks, we have been studying the book of Nehemiah together. And what we've seen so far is a man who lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, hear about the plight of Jerusalem, the fact that walls were ruined, that the city was needed to be rebuilt, and he was moved to action. You see, God put on his heart this plan and this purpose for his life. And as a result, he was willing to go and do what God was calling him to do. He mobilized the demoralized people who were walking around and living in ruins. And as a result, this people turned into a vast army of workers who got on with the job and got the plans completed. He faced right across his time doing what he was doing, opposition from outside and strife from within. He faced criticisms, he faced backbiting, he faced rumours being spread about him. And as we said last week, this is a pattern which goes on into the chapter that we read together today. And today, as we continue this journey into this book together, I want us to be asking the question, how do we cope when distractions come our way in life? What does it look like to follow God in the midst of a time where everything is trying to pull us to the left and to the right and take us from our God-given purpose? It's amazing. When we look at Scripture and we look at the characters in the Bible, what we will often see is there was a time where a lot of these characters had a specific call from God about a task that they were to fulfill, about a job that they were to do, about a burden which was on their heart, which God had put there in order for them to accomplish. We can think of people like Noah, can't we, who had to go and build an ark. That was the mission that God had given him. We can think of people like Jonah, who God specifically spoke to about going to the people of Nineveh to tell them about him and about the fact that they needed to repent. We could think of people like Moses, who had to go to a people who were enslaved by the superpower of the day and tell them that that the Pharaoh was to let the people of God go, that they might worship him. And you know, what was true of all of those Bible characters that I've just mentioned, and indeed many more, is very true of what God does today as well. I know that was true for me. At the age of 16, and I may have told you this story before if you come along to this church, but at the age of 16, my life's ambition was to be a chef. I was pretty good. I got into the top catering college in the country, and that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to go off to London and work in a top London restaurant, maybe even have my own TV show one day, cooking and all of this sort of thing. That was where my focus was at. 
And I went on a short-term mission trip with my church when I was 16 years old. We went to Kenya for three weeks to help uh, in the middle of nowhere in Kenya uh, with a building project. And as we were going out there, before we were going out there, we had to go on an orientation weekend as a church to find out exactly what we were going to be doing when we were out there. And when I was on this orientation weekend, there was a guy at the front, and he was speaking on the injustice which goes on around the world for the last, the least, and the lost. He was talking about how people are just absolutely taken advantage of, left, right, and center. And in that moment, as a 16-year-old boy, I felt God speak to me for the first time. And God said to me that day, catering, Luke, is not for you. I've got something different planned for your life. And it was from that moment that my life trajectory took a different turn. And it was from that moment God led me on a series of steps which ultimately leads me to standing here before you today. And you know, what is true for me is true for many, many people. But maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've never had an experience like that. God has never spoken to me and told me what I must be doing or where I must be going or what my life is going to look like. And if that is you this morning, I want to say that Actually, there's a general call that all Christians are called to, to live their life by. We are all called, according to Scripture, to go and to make disciples. We are all called, according to Scripture, to show the love of Jesus with every single person that we come into contact with. What I want you to hear today is that as a Christian, you are called by God to a specific task and to a specific purpose, and to a specific role. For some people, that's very specific. Others, that might be a bit more general. But here today, you are called. But here is the tragic thing. So often as Christians, when we start out on the journey of following Christ, and we start out by following the call that God has on my life, we're incredibly enthusiastic, and we're incredibly excited about what God has for us. But there comes a point, too often, where something happens and something gets in the way and what started off as a call where we were going for it with all of our heart and with all of our soul, we never actually really finish. We get distracted. We end up going off course. Life gets difficult. Things get in the way. We get hurt. And as a result, maybe that excitement that we once had of following Christ just grows a little bit dim. Maybe that fire that we once had in our bellies for doing what Jesus has called us to do just gets a little bit extinguished. And we find ourselves just going through the motions and not really fulfilling the call that God has on our lives. We grow tired, we grow weary, we grow a little bit cynical, and that passion inside us just grows numb. I wonder if anyone can relate to that today. I guess it's very easy to relate to that in a coronavirus-ravaged world, isn't it? Maybe we were really excited about what God was calling us to before coronavirus. Maybe we had this image in our head of what God wanted us to do. And then suddenly, bam, the whole world is turned upside down. Maybe there was a time in your life where you were so passionate to follow Jesus. But over the time, you've just been worn down and broken down, and that fire that you have within you is not quite the same anymore. I wonder if there's anyone today feeling a little bit weak, and a little bit weary, and a little bit downcast. And church, my 
challenge for us today is not to allow the daily grinds of life in this world that we find ourselves in today to stop us finishing what God has started in our life. The message ultimately for all of us today is don't give up. I believe that as we open this passage up together this morning, this passage in Nehemiah, what we're going to see is some really valuable insights today about how we deal with distractions in our life when they come our way and how we stop ourselves getting defeated by the things which come along. You see, the start of Nehemiah chapter 6, what we've just heard read to us, brings us to a very dangerous point in the rebuilding project. You see, the chapter opens up by telling us that the project that Nehemiah has started is more or less complete. The vision that Nehemiah had cast had almost been fulfilled and suddenly the novelty has worn off for people. Where they were maybe once really enthusiastic at the beginning, now it's nearly done and they're like, wow, okay, we're almost there. We'll just carry on, but our heart is not necessarily in it in the same way as it once was. And it's often in those moments, isn't it, in life, where we've been working so hard to fulfill a vision that we become tired that distractions can come and rob us of finishing what God has started in our life. And today I want to focus on three distractions from Nehemiah chapter 6, which came Nehemiah's way and often come our way in life as well. And look at how we deal with those distractions when they face us. And I want us to ask the question, what are the distractions that you are facing in your life right now? What are the distractions that I am facing right now? What are the distractions that we as a church may be facing right now, which are preventing us being who God has called us to be? The first distraction that Nehemiah faces in this particular chapter is the distraction of opportunity. We read these words in verse 2. Sambala and Geshem sent this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. You know it's not going to be a good meeting if they're meeting in somewhere called Ono. Now, Sambala and Geshem were offering to meet Nehemiah, but we've heard about these people before. They weren't offering to take Nehemiah for a Starbucks. They wanted to meet him because they wanted to do him harm. But this invitation to Nehemiah came in the form of an opportunity. You see, the task was almost complete, and it was fairly normal practice in this day and age that when a neighboring country wanted to work out what their relationship was going to be like, that a future meeting was put together so they could talk about what their relationship was going to look like going forwards. The invitation could have presented itself to Nehemiah as an opportunity. He could have looked at this situation and thought, great, now I can get the upper hand on those nations around me. Now I can negotiate a good deal for us as a nation. And actually, we can live in relative harmony. I'm going to go for this meeting. I'm going to have it. It's going to be brilliant. Israel are going to prosper as a result of it. But the thing is, it had Nehemiah gone for that meeting, it probably would have cost him his life. So often, situations may present themselves to us as good opportunities in life, when in actual fact, what they do is they rob us of God's best for us. And the church is particularly bad at this. I'm not talking specifically about Hope Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church in general. Because in a world where there is so much need... There is so many opportunities which present themselves to the church. And the church is often not very good at discerning between a good opportunity and a God opportunity. 
The church is not very good at determining what we should be doing and what God wants us to do. And what happens in church life generally is we end up piling more and more stuff onto ourselves. We add more and more programs into the mix. And as a result, we need more and more volunteers to fulfill the program. So therefore, we've got more and more rotors which have gaps on. So we find ourselves all over the place burdened trying to keep the show on the road and as a result we're prevented from doing what God is actually calling us to do and as a result our approach often is a little bit backwards too often that we feel that because we're a church we must be doing everything we must be helping everyone every opportunity which comes our way we must get our hands in but the reality is as a church What we need to be doing is what God is calling us to do, nothing more and nothing less. You see, when a surfer goes surfing, he doesn't get into the water and start splashing around really violently in order to create a wave. What a surfer will do is they'll go surfing and they'll look at where the waves are. And when they see where the waves are in the water, they'll go to that point of the water and they'll start to ride the waves which are already there. Our approach as a church is often a little bit like this, isn't it? We're a church. We must be running a Sunday service. We must be running a toddler group. We must be helping the homeless. We must be providing things for old people. We must be providing things for young people. We must be providing things for children. We must be doing this. We must be doing that. And we get in the water and we just splash around trying to make a wave. The reality is what we should be doing is saying, God, where are you working right now? And how can I get involved in your mission and your plans and your purposes? How can I join in with what you want me to do? Because when we do that, ultimately, we finish the project that God has called us to do. We are not called to do everything. We are not Jesus. We cannot reach everyone. We cannot do everything. What we are called to do is what God is calling us to do. Nothing more and nothing less. Notice Nehemiah's response to opportunity in verse 3. He says this, I am carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah knew what he was called to. He knew the vision that God had given him and he wasn't prepared to allow other opportunities to stop him doing what God had called him to do and to stop him completing the task. I wonder what opportunities are presenting themselves to you right now. Are they from God or are they a distraction from actually what God is calling you to do? Every day in our life, opportunities present themselves to us and they have the potential to totally and utterly divert us from actually where God is wanting us to go and the thing is a lot of the opportunities which come up are not even bad things they look on the surface like they are good and they will do us good and it will be good for us to be involved in but to live for the vision that God has for you and for me we must be a people who learn at times to say no to some good things in order to serve his purposes. Otherwise, we get tired, we get burnt out, we get distracted, and we never finish the task. Right now, let me ask you personally, what is God calling you to take up at this time? 
What is God calling you to say yes to in terms of serving him right now? And what is God calling you to lay down? What is God calling you to say no to? What is God saying, this is what I have for you. Focus on this and nothing else. Serve me fully in the things that I have called you to. Nothing more and nothing less. The second thing that we see from the story of Nehemiah today, and the second distraction which comes Nehemiah's way, is the distraction of criticism. You see, as we already established in recent weeks, for Nehemiah, criticism wasn't necessarily a new thing. We could go back to chapter 4 and we can see critics come up against what Nehemiah is doing. This is not a new thing, but somehow this time, the criticism which came was different. Because this time, the criticism which came was personal to Nehemiah. This is what we read in verses 5 to 7. The fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. In those days, when someone would write a letter, it was done in a very specific way. A letter was often written on papyrus, and then it was sealed with string, and then a seal would go on the letter so no one else could read it. But notice this letter that Nehemiah is implicated in is very different. This letter is purposely left unsealed. And there's a reason that this letter is left unsealed, because the outcome of leaving this letter unsealed was that there was a hope that many people would read it, Many people would agree with the criticism, and as a result, the criticism would get bigger and bigger and bigger, that false rumours would be spread against Nehemiah, and it would totally and utterly derail the plans that Nehemiah had been given by God to complete. Criticism is one of the biggest distractions to the will of God being accomplished in his church. You see, when criticism comes... Our natural reaction is to want to defend ourselves or to lick our wounds. When criticism comes, the prevailing emotion for all of us is to say, do you know what? I don't even know why I bother. I'm trying my best, and they're just criticizing. I might as well give up. But notice Nehemiah's response to criticism here in verses 8 and 9. It says this, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your heads. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Nothing attracts criticism and critics like vision. If you're passionate about something or about something that God has laid upon your heart, there will always be people who are there to question your motives and question your enthusiasm, people who will misunderstand your intent. But notice what Nehemiah does. Instead of 
chasing rumors, he turns to God and he prays for strength to carry on the task. You see, what happens to Nehemiah is something which happens to all of us when we step out in faith. In actual fact, it happened to Jesus. You see, when Jesus walked this earth, Jesus was accused of casting out demons by using demons. Jesus was accused of hanging out with sinners. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus was accused of blasphemy. And what did he do? He set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus knew and he understood the reason that he was called to come and the task and the mission that he was called to fulfill. He knew what the Father had called him to do and nothing was going to take his focus off that vision despite the voices that wanted to bring him down. I wonder, where is it right now that God is calling you to serve? And what has stopped you up until this point? Maybe you have allowed voices of negativity to rob you of what God is wanting to do in your life. People have told you you're not good enough. You'll never be able to amount to the task which God has called you to. You might as well give up and go home. And what is it which has stopped you fulfilling your God-given potential? Maybe, if you're totally honest, you've got a bit of a critical spirit right now. Maybe you're looking at situations and you're just seeing the faults. And Jesus is saying to you today, don't look at this, look up. Look to me and focus on me. Don't get distracted by all that is around you, but focus on the one who is able to help you to fulfill the vision. The final distraction that happens in the life of Nehemiah in this particular passage is the distraction of fear. Fear has the ability to completely kill a vision. We read these words in verses 10 to 13. One day... I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metabar, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the doors to the temple because the men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and that they would give me a bad name to discredit me. When opportunities and criticism did not distract Nehemiah, his enemies had one last attempt, and this time they used fear as a weapon. Had Nehemiah gone into the temple in order to flee to save his life, it would have violated God's law. And as a result of that, he would have been in sin. It might have been the easiest option to keep him safe, but ultimately it was not the right option. And Nehemiah remembered what he was called to, and he refused to give in to fear. You know, every vision which comes from God will always have an element of fear on our part. You see, God will often call us to tasks which are far beyond ourselves, far beyond our capabilities, and far beyond our skill set, so that when his will comes to pass, he is the one who gets the glory and not us. If the vision that God has placed on our hearts doesn't make us at times a little bit scared, I would suggest that the vision is not big enough. But an element of fear should not stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Rather, what it should do is drive us to our knees, 
to seek a God who says, for me, nothing is impossible. We live in a culture of fear right now, don't we? We're constantly hearing messages, bombarded with messages, telling us to stay safe, that we should do everything that we can to protect our loved ones. And while these messages are good, and while these messages are true, and whilst these messages are something that we should adhere to, because we want to be virus-free, and we want to protect the vulnerable, we still have to realise that the God that we worship is in control, that he is on the throne, and he knows what he is doing. We still have to understand that even in a coronavirus-ravaged world, world, there is a gospel which needs to be proclaimed. There is a people who are living without hope, who are so desperately in need of hope, and we are the ones who are called to take the gospel to them. We need to realise that in a world where, at the moment, church looks very different from what it once did, that we shouldn't fear what the future holds, but we should press on and press into a God who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, what I want you to hear today is simple. This God that we worship is a visionary God. He gives vision to his church and to his people. And he invites us to partner with him in his mission. All too often we get stopped in our tracks because of distractions. We can get distracted by opportunities which present themselves to us which aren't part of God's perfect will for our lives. We can get distracted by criticism when it just becomes a little bit too hard and we think to ourselves, well, do you know what? I might as well give up and go home. And we can be distracted by fear. The task at hand is far too big for me. But the key today is simple. Focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him again, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I'm going to invite you in the room to stand. And as I close this message today, I want to challenge each and every one of us. I want to challenge us, whether we're in the room or we're watching at home, and I'd love to be able to pray with and for some people this morning. I want to pray that God lays a vision on your heart for what he is calling you to do, how he is calling you to serve, where he is calling you to serve. And I want each and every one of us this morning to ask God, what is the next step on my journey to fulfilling what you have called me to do? For some here today, I believe that God wants to lay a specific call on your heart, maybe to a ministry, maybe to a people group, maybe, I don't know what it is to, but maybe there's been an opportunity that God has called you to for a long time, but you have simply been putting off and putting to the back burner. You've listened to the voice of the critic. You've said, I'm not good enough, God. I can't do it. God wants to assure you today that he is going to equip you for the task. For some, maybe there's a specific call to share Jesus with someone that you've been putting off and putting off for so long. What is the vision, God, I wonder, is laying on your heart today? 
for the church, this is a scary time as we navigate the future, but this is also an exciting time filled with potential. Church, let us not be distracted by opportunities, by criticism, or by fear, but let us press on and press in to God. We're going to sing together in response uh, the creed, our Father everlasting. And I want to encourage you, if you're watching at home, to, to really sing out these words as a proclamation of your faith in Jesus. In the room, let's just meditate on these words. Let them wash over us again today, realizing who the God we serve is. And then we're going to pray together this morning. But let's worship God. Father God, I want to pray for each and every person who is tuning in or in the building today. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have been distracted. Forgive us for the times where we have gone off course. Forgive us for the times where opportunities which have come our way have led us from what you have for us, your best, your perfect, your pleasing will. And we thank you today that you are a God whose mercies are new every morning. And even when we fail, and even when we get distracted, you're there calling us back. Your gracious love calls us back into relationship with you. And you say to us, come on, you can go again. Let's start again. Focus on the vision. Focus on what you're called, you're called to and walk with me. Lord, may we know your presence as we respond this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our judge and our defender, suffered and crucified, witnesses with me, descended into darkness, you
God, our prayer this morning is simple. Come, Holy Spirit. Right now, across this room, in people's homes, Holy Spirit, may we know you in a very special and tangible way this morning. May you minister to our souls today, Lord God. May we hear your voice about the opportunity, about the criticism, about the fear which we might be facing right now. Help us to not be distracted, but to focus on you. to pray for some people this morning if this was a normal service where we weren't in mass and we were singing and we were much closer together we would invite you forwards and we'd lay hands on you and we'd just pray God's blessing over you but we can't do that in this coronavirus time but I do want to pray and I want to pray that God will fill people with vision today vision for his purposes and his plans but we'll learn to say yes to what God wants and no to the opportunities which are not of him for some you're desperate maybe to hear the voice of God give you a specific call today and if you want to receive prayer this morning that God will touch you that God will help you focus on him that God will make you aware of what he is calling you to do i want to invite you just to come forward there's a lot of space at the front where we can be socially distant like i said we can't lay hands and pray for you today but in an act of coming forward we just say here i am god use me and i'll pray for you up here beyond behind this screen and if you're watching online i want you to encourage you to just to indicate this morning in some way shape or form that you want prayer Maybe you can just write in the comments, Lord, give me your vision this morning. And we will include you this morning in this prayer. That God will meet with you where you are at. That's the amazing thing about the God that we worship. He's not confined to a formula. He's not confined to the fact that we need to be close or laying on hands. God can meet with us in this way today. So as we just sing that chorus again, as we proclaim the truths about Jesus together this morning if you want to receive prayer this morning to say God give me your vision for my life just come forward and stand in a place where you are away from others this morning and we'll pray for you this morning that God will meet with you this morning and he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit and he'll do what only he can do I just want to share a couple of pictures which have been shared on Facebook this morning I believe that God has given me two pictures to share first picture is of a seed the seed starts to shoot and put down roots it gets stronger and stronger becomes a plant flowers and bears fruit the words God has given to me this morning is grow and flourish he wants us to have deep roots in him and become what he has called us to be I believe that God is saying his work can't be held back as humans we can't put boundaries on what his Holy Spirit can do he is all-powerful and can overcome any human barrier that is put in our way.